travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the hijinks. I've got a trade midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? <laughs> it's Steve Spears. I'm gonna sing a song for you. <laughs> I'm not that bad. You are that bad. I'm that bad. <laughs> like Kathy, you look good today. I want to eat you up. I'm hungry in the '80s. I'm hungry for your love. Okay. Well, yeah, it's stuck in the '80s time and. Uh, the Times pop critic Sean Daly has had far too many. <laughs> I need more runs. I need more runs. No more candy. It's a very special episode today. It is, and not that I have very little part of too. Yeah, why didn't you have today's our special uh, interview with former MTV VJ Adam Curry, who we interviewed last week. You know why you guys didn't want me to participate? Why? Because I was going to ask him if he still feathers his. Pe- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Adam. <laughs> That's actually a joke from Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. It is. I apologize. God. Yeah, he asked that about Richie Sambora. No, Adam Curry, very funny. The Pod Father, they call him. They do. He's the father of the podcast. Um, and you and Kathy had a great interview with yeah, him. Yeah, we were so happy. Uh, Adam called us from England and chatted us up for about 40 minutes on just about anything we wanted to talk about. And he's hilarious. He's just as cool today as he was back then. And it was it was a great interview, and we didn't want to chop it down to ten minutes to use for our MTV show. So we said, let's use the whole thing this week and let our listeners, you know, enjoy the mellow goodness. Does he have a good voice? Oh yeah, he's got a radio voice. I mean, does he you, use any profanity? A little, <laughs> but that's what that's the flavor, baby. That is the flavor. Now we're sitting in butter. Um, I would have participated in the interview, but I was at a Steely Dan show the night before. Steely Dan and Michael McDonald. You can imagine that thing raged all night. (laughs) (laughs) I was taking it to the streets afterwards. So I got stuck in walker traffic (laughs) behind wheelchairs and walkers, so I couldn't make it in in time. But I wanted to be part of it, and I understand that you and Kathy had a great time. I understand that Kathy is now dating Adam Curry. Is this correct? This is true. Yeah. But Kathy's not here right now, so we're basically naked like the old days. Yeah, You're extremely old. hairy. You're a very hairy man. Except in the parts you should be hairy, which is <laughs> I don't understand at all. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I can't wait to hear about, uh, I can't wait to hear this Adam Curry. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so enjoy the Adam Curry interview. We'll be back after the interview to do our Frump Delicious uh, segment. <laughs> How's, that's pretty good spears, isn't it? No. <laughs> So uh, enjoy Adam Curry. We'll be back shortly afterwards with this week's Name That Tune. So we're joined now by Adam Curry calling in from England, right, Adam? Yep, from the affluent suburb of Surrey known as Guilford. Uh, Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Well, it's good to be here, and it's right where I belong. (laughs) So uh, MTV's 25th birthday passed last week. For you, was this just another day on the calendar, or did it get you reminiscing at all? Um, 
Well, I wasn't there for the for their first sign-on, which was August first, nineteen eighty-one. I came in around the time that MTV moved from nine million households to over forty million households, which, of course, is was for a lot of people was the first time they ever saw MTV. That's why I'm often associated with it. But I actually came in a good six years after MTV started. Um, and I think I only became aware of MTV around 83, maybe 84. I'd heard that Don Henley's video had won some kind of award, and that was one of the MTV Video Music Awards. I was living in Europe at the time, so granted, that didn't help. Yeah. So it really, you know, it doesn't really ring any bells for me other than the date is kind of interesting, 8181 as the day they signed on. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the things that sticks in your mind, you know. What do you think of the media coverage uh, of the 25th anniversary? Uh, appropriate or maybe a little bit of overkill? Uh, well, it's obvious MTV's current audience doesn't care. Um, <laughs> True. You know, I, I think it's imp- if there's anything that's kind of sad about uh, any type of pop culture is that it often just kind of dissipates and goes away. And, you know, and there's sometimes cool stuff there, nice nuggets or things to be learned or cer- certain moments in history uh, which is, uh, without a doubt, one of the main reasons why I said I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love to come on your show is because it's nice if some of that history is preserved. Um, so, you know, the press coverage, I think the coverage is more about MTV not doing anything than any actual coverage at all. Um, and it and usually had a little timeline of MTV's highlights, which I totally disagree with. <laughs> Um, it's all, you know, whatever's in recent, recent memory. So whoever writes history, I guess, uh, makes it. Were you, were you surprised, I guess, then, that MTV didn't do much on their own that sort of felt a VH1 classic to sort of commemorate the event? No, I'm not surprised at all, and I think they're right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do their channel much justice, I don't think, um, because it can, only, it can really only detract from the brand. What I'm more amazed by is the transformation VH1 has gone through. I mean, they have Metallica documentaries now. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's right. You were actually one of the first hosts, or actually the initial host of uh, Headbangers Ball, right? Uh, see, um, who was doing it before I was doing it? I think Kevin Seal uh, was doing it. Um, maybe the, He'd maybe done a couple weeks, and then I, I joined the channel, and then they gave me Headbangers Ball. I really enjoyed doing that a lot. Because at the time, you know, it was Saturday midnight to 3 a.m. It was kind of almost like a clandestine. We had a little, little extra leniency in what kind of videos we would show. And, uh, and people really dug that. And, yeah. and I also, you know, I always kind of uh, played along in a you know, tongue-in-cheek manner. But most of the music I actually dug. Any of the bands that you interviewed from back then kind of still stand out to you today? Oh man, I, I think I've interviewed just about anybody. You know, it, it would be hard to, to pinpoint any, any any single one. And there's lots of interviews that I see popping up on YouTube and stuff that I can don't even remember. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, really? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, it was also it was a long time ago. You know, it was uh, it was what was it, seventeen, eighteen years ago when I started at MTV. That's right. How did how did you end up actually getting the job as a VJ there? Uh, I, I was born in the States, but grew up in Amsterdam. And uh, after doing a lot of pirate radio, uh, I wound up on a, a national, uh, with a national broadcast 
uh, company. And it was all government-owned at the time, kind of like the BBC, really only two channels. And so there was, there was only one music show, and I was the host of that music show. And then Satellite kicked in um, throughout Europe, and we provided uh, um, you know, the, a daily hour of music videos. And it was pretty intense at the time. This was 84, I think, 85. Uh, and you had countries like Portugal at the time, it's a completely third-world country. Uh, all of a sudden, they were broadcasting on their terrestrial you know, station, uh, RTP1 or whatever it was. They were broadcasting music videos, and he was this six-foot-four tall blonde guy with blue eyes reading their postcards. You know, they'd never seen a music video, let alone have that experience. And it's, <laughs> it's not easy. I mean, you guys will remember, but... You know, things. Is, you know, my daughter can't even imagine what it's like life without music videos. Well, guess what? There was a time without them. Um, so at that time, MTV Europe had just started to uh, uh, to settle itself in the UK. Someone saw me doing something on television, and they invited me to come work for them in the US in '87. And I said, "Yeah, sure." Cool. Good career move or bad career move in retrospect? Uh, well, I've had several careers since then. Um, uh, so I guess good and bad. Um, I didn't become no Dick Clark. Uh, <laughs> That's a good thing, Adam. <laughs> okay, okay. That's so a check in the right box. Yeah. Um, no, I think very good. I think it was good that I uh, got out of uh, the Netherlands because, you know, it's pretty limited. With uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, they have their own language there and stuff. It's, people don't speak anywhere else. And so it was... It was great. I took my then-girlfriend, now my wife, of 18 years uh, with me to New York. Um, yeah, we've had a, a pretty good run. I think it was a, a great decision. Now, we were listening to your podcast, uh, The Daily Source Code, the other night. We were listening to the uh, August 1st edition where you were reminiscing about uh, MTV and sharing some of the stories from mm -hmm. the old days. And uh, you sort of teased us a little yeah. bit with the uh, Sebastian Bach Skid Row story that you didn't quite uh, tell us. How, <laughs> can we twist your arm and get the story out of you today? Well, it, it was more uh, <laughs> sure. Um, it was more kind of like a situation rather than a really good story. But it was all in. It all kind of happened in one night, where for some reason uh, Sebastian, Sebastian and I decided to go to Red Square. Um, but this was around three in the morning. So we went to the Red Square, uh, and this is still communist Russia at the time. Yeah. And you know, so there are guards there in front of Len's tomb, and, uh, and it was just kind of weird. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to Red Square, but uh, first of all, it's smaller than you think it would be, and it's pretty clean. And so we wound up just kind of sitting on Red Square in the middle, drinking vodka, and these guards kind of looking at us really strangely. And then Seb Sebastian had the idea of seeing um, if he could actually let a cigarette burn on the uh, inside of his uh, wrist. <laughs> let it burn up, and uh, so that was fun for about fifteen minutes. Oh. And then we then we went back to the hotel, and that's and that so it really doesn't have that much to do with Sebastian. But I, I quite clearly remember that you know, it was us, and I think a couple of the guys from the Scorpions. I, it was a lot a lot of different people kind of hanging out in front of the hotel, and the Moscow Hell's Angels showed up. Oh what? wow! <laughs> and it, yeah, it was really funny because they're on Java motorcycles, Yugoslav uh, motorcycles, and they're like popping wheelies and falling off the back. And then, uh, you know, then uh, all of a sudden uh, the police show up, and then there's this guy with a really oversized hat, and he's hassling 
um, the merchandise truck, and he had to have like a stack of 50 T-shirts. It was just one continuous <laughs> blur of events. But it's kind of hard to to really grasp what it was back then because you know it was in communist Russia. You know, this is not a place you just went to. And to have that all happen at the time was just so incredibly surreal. Oh yeah, um, it, it was definitely one of my uh, one of my favorite MTV moments. Cool. Of all the places you were able to travel to and visit during your tenure there, is, is Red Square the one that stands out as being the most unique, or did you have another uh, oh uh, you know experience that kind of stands out as well? Uh, we you know we, we uh, there was so much. Um, I was like the only guy, the only VJ who could ski. So um, MTV for a number of years did um, shows that involved like the Pro Mogul Tour or uh, later snowboarding. And since I was the only guy who could ski, you know, literally I, I've skied in the most beautiful places in the United States. Uh, oh, cool. you know, yeah. uh, all over Colorado, Breckenridge, Vail, Aspen, uh, Snowbird. Uh, what's up there? Uh, the glacier in uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, uh, just you know everywhere. And we used to get to do all kinds of you know really cool stuff. We had uh, the MTV Beach House was a lot of fun. Um, spring Break uh, went to in several different places. Um, yeah, definitely got around. I, I know I've seen every single one of the fifty states in the United States. That's wow. for sure. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah. So when you left uh, MTV in, was it 94? Uh, 95, I think. 95. Yeah, 94, 95. Were you happy with the direction that the, the network was going in? Could you tell that it had taken a definite turn away from showing music videos into doing something completely different? Well, there's kind of two questions in there. Um, I, was, I wasn't happy with what MTV was doing from day one. I thought it was like, what the hell are you guys doing? It was pretty lame. <laughs> All the good shit never gets on the air. Anything that was funny, uh, which, of course, usually involved a joke, and if the joke was about an artist, then it you know, would never air. And yeah. that was really very uptight, very much a part of, um, uh, you know, they're very much a part of the, the machine that is the music business. Yeah. Um, do I think MTV made the right business decisions? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they clearly saw the writing on the wall. The video outlets were, you know, were widening, and that you know the distribution of music videos would be really widespread, which uh, they already knew around the time that Michael Jackson started, you know, uh, giving his world premiere or planetary or intergalactic premiere to <laughs> yes. the BET. So MTV all of a sudden was competing with BET, and you know, like, whoa, wait a minute! And uh, then we had the box and the, all kinds of stuff that was coming on. At the same time, MTV had struck gold with remote control. Oh yeah, you remember remote control? Oh yeah, which, definitely. Uh, big fans. Exactly. So, remote control uh, did something really unique in 30 minutes every single weekday. Is they scored a 1.0 or sometimes a 1.1 rating. And that was anywhere from twice to three times uh, video, uh, what video programming would get. So the short-form programming for MTV was then born. And, you know, it, in, in that business, <laughs> double the ratings means more money. That's, that's just a fact. So yeah. then they, you know, and actually I have to give credit to the MTV, or, or you can blame or they can take credit, whichever you, you prefer. And the MTV News Department really spearheaded that. Um, and it just drew, you know, every new piece of long-form programming took away from the music programming. Um, 
And although unfortunate because there was a definite vibe, you know, there are other stations that are doing that. Um, Kerrang Channel, the Music Factory. I mean, there, there are kind of like, you know, MTV-like stations out there that still have a bit of the vibe of people being into the videos and talking about them. It's just, you know, MTV had, a, had just a huge smash, a huge major brand that is very valuable and a different type of programming worked for them. So in that regard, I think they did everything right. Yeah. Although I hate that fucking fabulous Sweet 16 show. That's a piece of crap. <laughs> I just hate it. I, I get so angry. I get so angry every time I see it on. And yet I sit there and watch five, ten minutes of it. Then I just get angrier and angrier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because my daughter's turning sixteen at oh, the end of no. the month, you know, and, and it's like it, we have to get the place that's wide enough for me to drive the Mercedes in with the bow around it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Oh man. Wow. Um, I have a question for you. Um, I was listening to Daily Source Code and. I have to say I'm totally addicted now, but um, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, okay, I'll back it up until after MTV. Um, okay, perfect. In the li- like from 1993, well, I was on the internet um, in 1988, and this was before the World Wide Web, and um, I found that you know the audience that uh, that was watching MTV was pretty much the same audience that had access to the Internet. It was like college kids. Yeah. So I had a pretty good interaction, and people would send me, you know, stuff about concerts uh, that had happened, you know, near their school or whatever, and I'd talk about it on the air. So that was a pretty interesting feedback loop that I had, which went out, outside of anything that MTV had. Um, and I really learned Unix, you know, and, and I had to go through. It was really hard to get on the Internet back in those days. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Flip accounts, remember all that shit? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, and we had Gopher, and I set up a Gopher server, which is, you know, kind of like a, an outline or a menu structure. Mm-hmm. We can go from server to server, very much like what the web is without pictures almost. And, um, and, I, and, and you know, and actually... You know, just start kind of putting my my uh, what I'd call today show notes, but you know, just collections of stories and things that I'd found around the uh, just around. I'd, I'd put those up there, and people would contribute, and, uh, and it was all kind of rudimentary and all very text based. But I did see a lot going on there, and um, then I got a, an email from uh, Mark Andreessen uh, in Champaign, Urbana, Urbana, Illinois, and he said, "Try this out." Someone's been working on, and uh, so he sent me the server, the HTTPD, the NCSA HTTPD server, which of course would drive uh, the Mosaic browser. And then my eyes opened up, and I went, Oh, well, f- that this is where it's going to be at. It's pictures today, but you know what's coming. Um, and uh, uh, let me see. I don't know if I, I hadn't started my com- company yet, but I was just, it was running in tandem, really. And and I said one morning I was driving in to MTV. I'm like, man, this is nuts. I'm at the Lincoln Tunnel. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do my segments, not even see the videos, take the check, go home, and then sit on the Internet until the middle of the night. So <laughs> after I, uh, I, I was doing the top 20 video countdown, after them one video, I said, all right, that's it. I quit. I think there's something bigger for me on the Internet. See you around. 
And um, and I laughed. And I called my my wife Patricia. I called her on the way home. I said, "Guess what? I said, just quit MTV." She said, "Finally, about time." <laughs> so that, that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that that's the correct response you were hoping for. Yeah. And I said, "But you know that if I don't get some shit together in a year or so, you know, smaller house." <laughs> she said, no, "That's okay." Yeah, big big talker, right? And um, um, yeah, then I started my company, but it was like literally the next weekend. Uh, that uh, MTV sued me over the domain name. That's the whole story of by itself. Oh yeah, that's right. I did read about because that. of course they had they had let me register that, and as long as it didn't cost them any money, and they thought AOL was going to be the way to get into quote cyberspace. Yeah, they had a big deal with AOL. Um, and I started my company on ramp, uh, which was didn't really know what it was uh, until um, a guy showed up at my door. And this is like twelve years ago. And he said, you know, I think we can get the Grammys. We can do uh, a cybercast. So it was cybercast. What's that going to be? So, well, there's radio, television, and then there's the web. And I think I can uh, get permission to do all this stuff and do, like, you know, backstage cameras. And, uh, and at the time, we had CUC Me video, you know, one frame per second, and chats and IRC. And so uh, I said, all right, you know, and so I flew out to L.A. the next day. And this was Ron Bloom, by the way, who is now my partner in this company as well. And uh, sure enough, we got you know the rights to the Grammys. We could sell advertising again against it, and uh, and we did a cybercast. That was 1996, I think. Oh wow! And um, and so they said, you know, after all that, and that was quite successful. You know, we we had to bring in T1 lines into the Shrine Auditorium. This was nothing. It was absolutely no one had ever, no one even really. They were looking at what we were doing, saying, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And now it's pretty normal. You know, you've got cameras built in your laptops and all that. We had the first Casio consumer digital camera. We were taking pictures and literally connecting it through a cable, a serial cable, mind you, to a, a laptop, and the pictures were on the Internet, and, you know, 10 minutes later. That was yeah. a really big deal in 96. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, we're like, wow, this is great. You know, we went back to New York. This is going to be fantastic. We're going to be able to work with Hollywood and put all this stuff online and and everyone's going to be able to have their own transmitter, and, and no one fucking calls. It was like <laughs> we, all we heard was crickets until um, Anheuser-Busch called. And they said, hey, we saw what you guys were doing. That's pretty cool. Um, we'd like to talk to you. And so we essentially told them that the best way to do it was not to go licensing content from Hollywood because they clearly weren't interested, but to make their own. And content could come in many forms right down to, you know, the – before there was a born-on date, we actually could take the code off the barcode and tell you when your beer was born. That was uh, The whole born-on date was our idea. Oh, sweet. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, so, so we built Budweiser.com. We built Re- PlanetReebok.com, Continental Airlines. Um, we even did a whole bunch of Procter & Gamble stuff. This was really the, the, the big, and this is, again, 90, uh, yeah, 96, 97. You know, this was really pre-internet bubble. This was real work, real clients, and uh, so we took that public in nineteen at the end of '96, and uh, um, around 1999, uh, we said, "Look, you know, all the shit that we've been charging people so much to do, you know, it's going to be boiled down into software packages, and you know, we all, it's 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 really going to be a different world." Uh, and we were basically a huge. Um, interactive advertising firm, if you will. We, we even bought and sold half a billion dollars worth of media for the, some of the biggest companies in the world 
ranging from primarily banners to you name it. We, we really worked in the, in the early days on a lot of that stuff. Continental mm-hmm. Airlines, uh, first to do ticketing, we did all of that. Um, so we sold it in 99, which was uh, turned out pretty good. Everyone told us we were crazy, um, but it was uh, actually a pretty, uh, pretty good thing to do. Uh, since in 2000, everything else blew up. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to move back to, we actually wanted to go to the United Kingdom and live here for a while. Um, but we had three dogs, three cats, and there was all kinds of issues with, immigra- uh, with quarantine, oh, yeah, quarantine. With the animals. And those laws were changing, but regardless, we had to stay in an EU country for six months minimum. So we moved back to Amsterdam. Um, didn't like that as much as when we left it 14 years earlier. So then we bought a castle in Belgium, and I learned how to fly helicopters. And, and then uh, kind of mucking around and uh, kind of this podcasting thing. And I called Ron up after about six months of messing around and, and learning and building and contributing. And I said, dude, what are you doing? He says, <laughs> I'm playing golf and building condos. He goes, fuck that. Let's go, uh, <laughs> do this podcasting thing. And uh, so January, what was it, January 2004 or 2005, I'm sorry. Yeah, January 2005. Uh, we met in Miami with a bunch of people, and, uh, for, you know, we, we knew that we'd come out the other end with no company or a company with only the people we wanted in it. And some people we'd worked with before and some we hadn't. And uh, at the end, uh, we came out with a company, and uh, not everyone who came in, or went into those meetings that week uh, within the company, but um, we decided to start Podshow. And then, of course, you know, there's a whole bunch of stories after that, and we're, without a doubt, building uh, a, a new form of media company. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That, that brings up an interesting question, because, you know, you were there for part of the MTV revolution, and now you're here at the beginning of the podcasting revolution, so I'm kind of curious... Do you, do you see um, podcasting or MP3 players, MySpace, iTunes, do you see any of those having the same kind of impact on the music industry that MTV did 25 years ago? Well, there's an overall change that's taking place. And um, a year ago, um, we, Ron and I were saying that within five years, 50% of all media that is consumed will be made by other consumers. And I think that's really a, a big part of, of what you're seeing that's happening right now. The first project we embarked on um, was the Podsafe Music Network. And now luckily in, in the early days of podcasting, before it was called podcasting, you know, I certainly had advocated, you know, just don't play any music because this is a, a very interesting thing we've got going on now. The last thing we need is the RIAA calling us thieves and, oh, yeah, and shit exactly. like that. And that kind of worked, and, and you know, then I, and I'd never been someone to go online and, and search for music. I found it just way too tedious, you know, find, click, listen to a sample, download. It just doesn't work for me. Um, but then I, I bumped into the lascivious biddies uh, who were in New York, and I really liked their stuff, and I said, hey, can I play this? I just wrote them an email. Can I play this on my podcast? And, of course, what happened is other podcasters who were also our listeners liked it. They asked for the same permission. They started playing it. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, the band gets back to me and says, dude, we're like selling records. <laughs> Something's going on with it. 
And so immediately, now Ron is a, a musician. That's his background. He's uh, been a writer, producer, guitarist. Uh, uh, he's built uh, studios. He's produced uh, quite a lot of stuff. Um, and as an ASCAP artist, you know, so we had some pretty interesting conversations about how the compensation model works. And the first thing we said is, look, the way it's happening right now, it's, it just doesn't open the door for enough people to get in. Um, and it's very restrictive for people, for podcasters to play any type of music because the licensing is just, you know, it's, uh, it's out of whack. So why don't we make up a license where someone puts a song there, you can play it on your podcast. Um, as long as you report it back to the network. And, and we, we put that in place, and before you knew it, knew it we had a, a little mini enterprise there that is doing almost an exact replication of what the music business does today, uh, only without the hassle, and, uh, and mainly because there's no money flowing that way. What, where the money flows is when people just are able to click somewhere and buy a track, whether it's through the Podsafe Music Network or iTunes. We don't care. You know, we, we don't make any money on that. But yeah. The, the whole idea of how powerful it is to hear someone say, hey, I like that record, man. I'm playing that again tomorrow. You know, when's the last time you heard that on the radio? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago? Yeah. yeah. It's all been formatted and playlisted and it's all, you know, hammered into, you know, just shoehorned into a certain way of doing things. That's okay because that's what happens. But, you know, so this total freedom and coming from television and radio myself, it's really unbelievable, the freedom, because you actually can say that, and you actually can do that. You can do whatever you want, and the only person who's going to judge you is your audience. It used to be, oh, man, I hope the program director didn't hear me f*** up. And now it's like, Jesus, I got like 25 emails of people telling me I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> you know, so that is a part of something that's really big that we overlook so easily because I mean, it went so fast. Uh, we had no Internet. Then everybody had email, and then everybody has Internet, and now it's on your mobile phone, and, and, and it's audio and it's video. This went so incredibly fast. Oh, we yeah. don't remember what it used to be like. You know, so I'm, I'm even going back and saying, hold on a second. Let's do something that was really cool, like um, bringing back the audio drama. You know, we have Shadow Falls, which is a um, – that's exactly what it is. It's an audio drama, 25 actors, uh, professional writers, professionally produced. And people are going like, holy crap, what's, how come we haven't heard this? Well, oh, it didn't wow. fit into the format of what radio had become. And there's still a lot of fantastic things we can do. So with music, it's exactly the same. Um, and I notice now that I hear a song um, on a different podcast that I've heard somewhere else or maybe played myself, and I have the same type of recognition. Um, my brain functions the same way. As you know, as I'm hearing J Lo for the 50th time, and I might actually like the J Lo song, but it's, you know, then all of a sudden I start picking it up. I know the lyrics. Like, hey, I'm recognizing it. I'm feeling good about it. So it works. The system is in place. You know, just please sell more iPods, more MP3 players, more TiVos, whatever it is that we that people can play this stuff on. That's only increasing our audience. Yeah. Now you mentioned radio. Um, you also do a show for satellite radio, correct? Um. On well, Sirius, the um, Sirius satellite. Um, you know, one of the things we wanted to prove is that the content that uh, that we were uh, dealing with, and of course we um, represent hundreds of shows. We have marketing deals with hundreds more. 
Uh, we create things exclusively. We're a media company, not a podcasting company. We actually deal mainly with the content. That's the most important thing to us. Uh, you know, let's uh, validate that this can go beyond, uh, quote, podcasting. Yeah. And we struck a deal with Sirius, and they're very happy. They love it. You know, they, they can't believe the type of programming that, um, that, is, that is out there being created by people and that you know, they can then pass on to their listeners. So that's really what that is. In fact, it's pretty much a simulcast of the daily source code. I'll even say, you know, after 24 minutes and 30 seconds when I know that, you know, that's my exactly. half hour. That's my half hour in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I actually say goodbye, and I tell people what else is coming up. Uh, but just in general, uh, you know, I've always been more involved in radio than television, actually, in my, uh, in my, in my broadcasting career. Mm. Yeah. Well, let me. So, so you brought up television. So let me take you back again, back to MTV, because I know uh, a lot of our listeners who are diehard uh, '80s addicts like myself have got to know what Adam Curry's top five favorite videos of all time are. It's so incredibly hard. Um, you don't even have to name five. Give me, give me two two videos that you think uh, you you could not live without. Okay, well, you see, the whole thing is, is there's, number, there's different reasons why you like a video. It can be the song that happens yeah. to go with the particular visuals. So, for instance, uh, Kate Bush running up this hill. Remember that? Oh, with yeah, Donald, yeah. With Donald Sutherland on the hill and shit. I mean, th that had a very mystical, I don't know if I'd put that in my top five favorites, but it just comes to mind. It's like, wow, you know, that was nice. Or Godly and Cream Cry, which was, you know, those fantastic... Uh, transitions really before digital effects were even available. Um, where the uh, do you remember that video? Oh yeah, we, oh, yeah. we just did a uh, we just did a top fifty videos of all of the top video top fifty videos of the eighties list on our blog and got in that Godly and Cream video I think was uh, in the top ten or top twenty. Yeah. Um, let me think for a second. Let me, I'm just trying to think of the stuff. We used to be. I, I do remember we used to get really excited. <laughs> You're like, man, have you seen this fucking video? No, you know, it's like, now it's not like that anymore. Um, but it was also, at, you know, at the time when um, digital effects were just, you know, this was, dude, this was all fucking tapes, you know. We were editing shit on big tape reels. Yeah. A video, I mean, this was very analog stuff. This, You know, so, so the beauty of a lot of videos, I mean, it's like Don Henley won in 1984 with Boys of Summer. I, that, to me, it was great cinematography, but it never really did anything for right. me. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it wasn't a sledgehammer. <laughs> See, there you go. You know, it's like, yeah, sledgehammer definitely was, wow, I can't believe it. But I don't, I don't know if that would be in my, in my all-time favorites. God, that's really hard. That is really, really What else was on the, on the top 50 of all-time list? Go down the list. You know what was on there? Uh, on, on, uh, let's see. I want to say they wasn't Thriller probably number one. Yeah, probably. And I think a lot of people put Vogue by Madonna up there, but I I, I never got that video. Really? I, nah. I, didn't, I just never. I we had this big uh, fight about this last week. I'm not a Madonna <laughs> fan in general, so. I was in uh, in her movie Truth or Dare. Are you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so Ninety-three cents every four years for Ooh. my appearance in Truth or Dare. <laughs> you don't really, do you? Wow, you could almost buy a coffee with that. A senseo, no less. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really hard. You know, God, I'd really have to like reminisce. 
because uh, you know you'll if you say something it'll pop up like yeah maybe I'll know ten other videos but and also it really is true we'd stand there we'd tape our segments but we'd never see the videos oh yeah it's still that way except for the live stuff it's still you know it's like you know you pretend that you just saw uh, you're coming out of the video and you pretend you're going into one so we'd watch them all and that'd be pretty much once and then you'd have to catch it on the channel. Pretty boring, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. MTV isn't quite as rocking a place as you might think uh, it is. It's pretty boring. Yeah. You know, you were talking about uh, Duran Duran on your previous episode. Oh, you've listened to our show? Yeah. Of course. I want to make sure you're saying everything right. Um, Uh-oh. So we went to, uh, Ron and I went to Sony Records to go talk with someone like a year ago. And... Um, you know, the, so you have the, the Sony Tower in New York. You have, like, a, a downstairs lobby, and they take an elevator up to the Sony lobby. And, uh, and I'd been there many years ago. and I'd never seen what I witnessed there. It's like you, the eleva- elevator door opens, and there's, like, 50 hip-hop groups running around with video cameras. They're on cell phones. They're all waiting for, you know, the A&R guy or whatever it is. So they're all kind of in the lobby trying to get in to talk to someone. I mean, literally 50 different groups of, uh, of uh, yeah, literally, it was all R&B and hip-hop. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we come in, <laughs> and you have to go to the receptionist, and you have to say who you are and who you're coming for or who you're coming to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like the 50 hip-hoppers, and then three white guys, Ron Bloom, Adam Curry, and Simon LeBond. <laughs> oh, jeez. And so Simon goes, and it's, it's kind of funny, you know. So Simon, who, of course, in the, in, the, in the old days, they would have been waiting downstairs and hustled him right on up. He has to go to the receptionist and says, you know, Simon LeBond here. <laughs> and, um, and she says, who? Who? Says, Simon LeBond. Oh, I have a seat over there. So we're all kind of like sitting. And uh, Simon and I know each other from many, many, many concert gig, so like, you know, kind of like, hey, how you doing, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then they announce that they're ready to see you. So then it's like, you know, the reception is like, Simon Lebon, Simon <laughs> Lebon, you can go upstairs now. And it was just horrific. It was so sad almost to, oh, yeah. to have witnessed that. It was, it was something so wrong about it. Oh, but that I, is. That's the saddest yeah. story I've ever heard. <laughs> Right, so I'm shaking my belly. I gotta go. Oh man, <laughs> you brought us all down. God oh. sakes, you've shaken my very foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that. Oh man, poor Simon. Oh, no, I know not many people hold the '80s in the same uh, reverence that I do, but man, that's just like uh, finding out that uh, there's no Santa Claus. I know. Oh really? Uh, well, well, can I tell you a different story to make you happy? Oh yeah, oh, definitely. Please. Uh, give me a name. I'll tell you a story. Come on, sit up on on, on Grandpa Daddy's uh, Grandpa Daddy's lap here, and I'll I'll tell you a story oh, about God. the old days of MTV. Oh, I got in a huge fight with Richard Marks once. That was oh, oh yes, yeah, tell anytime, us. Anytime tell there's us. a fight with Richard Marks, I'm in. Yeah. Oh yeah. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what it was. There was um, something that I said in the top twenty video countdown. I for the life of me can't remember it, but. Believe it or not, I think it actually had to do with his hair. I can't quite remember, but it was some pun or something that of was, course. you know, entertainment tonight like lame. And, uh, and he took <laughs> so much offense to it that he, uh, and, and those shows are basically scripted. You know, I could say whatever I want to say, and I wrote a lot of it, but, you know, so I'm just, it, I'm kind of brainless. I'm just reading it, whatever. 
And uh, it was the 20 millionth time I'd seen the video. And he gets so bent out of shape, and he tries to get me fired, and he's running around the office uh, at, you know, up on Broadway and telling everyone they got to get, get me off the channel or I'll never <laughs> do anything for MTV. It's like, whoa, man, it's so intense. And I think it was not that, you know, uh, they certainly would have fired, they fired me lots of times over all kinds of stuff, not over that. Yeah. They just kept asking me back. <laughs> but um, then I was scheduled like two weeks later to do a radio interview with Richard Marks uh -oh. on a show called Hitline USA, which was coast to coast live on Sunday nights. It was a pretty cool show. And he goes off on me, and he just like, and he, and, but I, I got to dig up this tape. It, it, you know, he says, you know, uh, I hope you die of lung cancer. <laughs> oh, my you God. Like Aunt B. You know, I just, he just went on and on about it because he was pissed off about something that I said about I, that I don't even remember. It was so stupid. Oh, wow. And, um, boy, he, he You he can't have been the first to person to have commented about his hair either. I mean. <laughs> yeah, really. And, and I thought I had the right. Yeah, but it all worked out in the end because I'm pretty sure he's playing Branson, Missouri this week. Uh, I don't know. No, I, I hope he's doing fine. I know. But uh, yeah, actually, there's a couple. There's probably six episodes of something called the MTV Chronicles, um, where I talk with Ken Clark, who used to be the director of On Air Talent, and we talk about all these crazy up situations that used to happen at the studio, which were, you know, th not the sex, drugs, and rock and roll you'd expect it to be, much more stupid and, yeah. and really hilarious. And he just sent me an email, because um, he worked at MTV much longer than I did. He was he was really there with Martha and JJ and uh, Alan and Mark. Um, and he actually did say there was quite a bit of partying going on uh with people who used to work at MTV for the 25th in New York. Uh, and he sent me a message and he said, dude, we've so got to do another MTV Chronicle. So I'd say in the next week or so, we'll probably post something there. And when Ken gets on with me, it's like the most horrible stories come out. Oh. So if you want some good, good Excellent. Shit. Yeah, he also holds the ultimate outtake reel. I know, I've seen it. I, I know what's on it. But gosh, we got to put that on YouTube one of these days. Oh that is please! So oh yes, <laughs> do it. Yeah. All right, guys. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Adam. You guys do a great job. Keep it up. We thank will. you. We'll you be too. listening to you too. Okay. Bye bye. 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 Hi, this is Simon of Melbourne, Australia, and I'm stuck in the eighties. That was a really, really good interview, guys. Did with him. Yeah, we were we were thrilled. He spent so much time with us and uh, get, shared some really great stories. From the he's old very days. well spoken. He's very funny, and he's got a very infectious laugh. He does. I want to date him. <laughs> I do. Maybe just a little casual dating. Nothing serious. No, that's good. You guys did a great job too. And, and that Simon LeBond story. Oh, <laughs> I know. Well, Kathy must have been flipping out. I, I, you could see the blood drain from her face. Yeah, I bet. As the horror of the story unfolded. Yeah. Uh, if you ever get a chance, you should listen to Adam's daily podcast. He does a podcast five days a week. It's called The Daily Source Code. And if you go to dailysourcecode.com or podshow.com, or you can even find it on iTunes, download it because it's about 
It's 30 minutes of pure fun every day. It just wouldn't be a Stuck in the 80s episode without Name That 80s Tune. And this is a very controversial Name That 80s Tune this week. Tell them, Steve. Tell them why. Tell them what you did. You mean the uh the arrest? sound of the <laughs> not your arrest. Oh, okay. Last week's uh Stuck in the 80s Name That 80s Tune song was extremely easy, almost offensively easy. Well, let's see how how easy was it? Let's play it one more time. Okay, yes. That was <laughs> yeah, that was that was really well, easy. Well, you know, it's an old it's it's an I think we used it because it was an MTV. Didn't you get letters people saying like you're a moron. Yeah, don't you even care anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Tell them what the song was for the one person. That yeah. one person being my for mother. My mom. Tell my, my, yeah, my tell mom your, and your mom. Yeah, tell the that's, moms that's, what song uh, it was. Mickey by Tony Basil. But uh Basil? Basil? Uh you know. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, to, but uh a lot of people were curious as to your love of the Zoftig woman. Oh yeah, the remember video? the cheerleader in the in the Mickey video? Oh yeah. She had that the front line. The front four, for you know the Chicago Bears. No, the uh, I, I like the um, there was uh, one uh, 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 Zoftig curvaceous woman right in front of the video. I kind of liked her. Bit of trivia about this video: that's actually uh, Tony Basil's actual cheerleading uniform from high school that she's wearing. Really? Yeah, she went to Las Vegas High School. Las Vegas High School. Yep. I bet that place rocks. I huh? bet it did. Las Vegas. I bet it still does. But craps uh, one hundred and one. Yeah. So a lot of people obviously got that one right. And, Intro uh, to Caribbean Stud. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man, let's see. Let's run down the list. I promised everyone who got it right this week would, would win something, and we've I've already put in an order for uh, the Stuck in the Eighties uh, little Condoms. novelty uh, ma- magnets. Refrigerator yeah, magnets. Make a, make a lot of people happy. <laughs> what did you want? Condoms? <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. That's my picture on the. No, tip. actually, I'm ordering a special thong with your face oh, on it. Ugh. The uh, so here's some of the winners. We got Jesse Leonard from Tonganoxie, Kansas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sure. It's, right Walt- near, it's right near B- Bill Ricca. <laughs> Tonganoxie. Walter Cox, our buddy from Ridgeland, sure. Mississippi. Sure. Becky Rabello from Windsor, California. Beck, Becky. Our buddy Craig Kintardi. Kintardi always wins, always a winner, never a loser. Six from New York. Obviously got it right. By the way, if I can give a shout out to Six real quick. Uh, Six, thank you for visiting my blog the other day when all the um, Ace Young fans were ripping on me. I wrote a review about uh, American Idol here, and uh, I just got creamed last week by angry Elliot Yamin fans and Ace Young fans. And uh, Six came to my defense in a very original way. Original, very complimentary, a little saucy. Um, I think so, you just let it go at that. Yeah, I think I should just you let it go. You want to drive the that. traffic to your blog, don't you? I want, yeah, I just wanted to thank Six. So Six is a friend. And of course, Six was dynamite in the um, MTV episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her Everyone uh, emailed to say they love that. She was, that story was unbelievable. She's quite good. We had uh, a couple other winners Jordan from Homewood, Alabama. And then here's an interesting one Walter Cox, which I mentioned before. He emailed us in to say, I'm ashamed to answer something as easy as Mickey, but there I am. Wow. He See, also people said, are f- Walter Cox was angry. Yeah. And he also said, by the way, the original remote control girl was Marisol. Yes. Walter Cox, you brilliant son of a gun. Marisol, that's it. Then came Carrie, then Alicia Coppola, then Susan Ashley. Yes, I'm such a geek. Marisol, great. Great yeah, job. You just can't buy fans like that. And God knows we've tried. So anyway, here's uh, this week's tune. 
I'm embarrassed to say I think I had this week's song on Kasingle. Kasingle? <laughs> Do you remember Kasingles? Yeah. I'm really embarrassed like to say cents. that. That, of course, is the theme from Miami Spice starring <laughs> And uh Look at you saying Aunt Berlin like, was that the name he said? Let me check my tattoo. <laughs> Yeah. Fess up, do you actually own that on tape? I do not own Miami okay. Spice. Okay. I do own the um, uh, the Paris Hilton video. It was given to me as a gag gift Okay, by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think you know the uh, name of this week's tune and the artist who plays it, email us at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com, and you have Sean's solemn word that he will mail you a piece of his clothing. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, tell him about our blogs. Oh, yeah. Well, we both have uh, award-winning blogs, if they actually gave awards to blogs. Or read our blogs. <laughs> or read our blogs. <laughs> but if you go to uh, blogs.tampabay.com slash popmusic, you can, you can read the Sean Daly masterpiece. If you go and you to, can see Six's saucy comment. Oh, yeah. If it was by Six. Now I'm starting to think that maybe it was a Six imposter. <laughs> I hope not. Or if uh, go to blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s and read the, the joy of life that is the Stuck in the 80s blog. Hey, this is Jordan from Homewood, Alabama, and I'm stuck in the 80s. Ah, fantastic. Another fan greeting. Remember, anybody can leave a fan greeting for us. Just go to our blog at blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s. There's a toll-free number there. Call it up. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and tell us you're stuck in the 80s and you're golden. Golden, I say. <laughs> you know, speaking of, uh, of Marisol, Walter Cox had that. I, I'd like to get Marisol on the phone. We should ha- I like us having these offbeat interviews. You know? That'd be nice. Hey, Kari should- Wurr. I'd like to interview Kari Wurr, but she, probably, she might not have been on the 80s. Uh, we, was remote control we, only in the 80s? <laughs> yeah, of course it was the 80s. <laughs> For that one time, we'll be stuck <laughs> yeah. in the 90s. Who else would you like to interview? God. Oh, I'd love to get They Might Be Giants on the show because um, they've been a huge band for me ever since the Yeah, I, I have a concert that night. I can't. I would, <laughs> I'd love to have uh, – I'd love to get Danny Elfman. I'd like to get Michael J. Fox. You know who I'd really like to get? John Cusack. Yeah. But I hear he doesn't like to talk about his uh, work – He'd you know, slam the phone down. That's the only thing you'd want to talk about. Yeah, he he doesn't like. He, he'd want to talk about his new dumb romantic comedy with <laughs> Diane Lane or something like Have that. Have you seen and that? He'd be like, hey, so what was going on with tape heads? <laughs> <laughs> so in Better Off Dead, you know he hates that movie. I know it still makes me sad. What's the that. girl's name? The French girl's name? Better Off Dead that you love? Oh, okay. you mean the actress's name? Yeah. Let's get her on the phone. Oh, and she was also the guy uh, who, who broke uh, Ricky's heart in Last American Virgin, right? She was, oh, yeah. She was the girl who did that. Yeah. That would be a good one to get on. Let's get show. her on the horn. That, we should probably I'll be learn, here for that one. At some point between now and the time we interview her, we'll learn her name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be our hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. So until next time, uh, Sean and I will remain here without Kathy, but still firmly stuck in the 80s. Bye, Steve. Bye, Sean. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the online department of the St. Petersburg Times and TBT. If you'd like to email us, please do at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Hey,
Do you know what that is? Blah, 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 bl